G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is entitled, A Testimony on Trial, and it looks at Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 21, and Peter's speech before the Sanhedrin. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, friends, please pray for me as I pray for you as we open up this amazing text of a testimony on trial. Loving Lord God, we thank you uh, for the fact that you speak to us, and we thank you that you are the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And we thank you that by no other name we can be saved and that we know your name and we can share it with the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our What Happened Next series in the book of Acts, looking at what happened after the events of Easter, after Jesus' resurrection. In week one, we saw how the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and were baptized. Last week, we looked at the healing of the man who couldn't walk. For 40 years from birth, he wasn't able to walk. And yet, Peter and John rock up, they pray in Jesus' name, and the man is healed. And they go on their way walking and leaping and praising God. So far, the Holy Spirit has led the whole narrative. And so far, everything seems to be on the up for the church. Everything seems to be going well. The Holy Spirit comes, they preach. 3,000 are baptized. The Holy Spirit comes, they pray, they heal. Everything seems to be going well. Today, though, we're going to see that not everything was hunky-dory for the first Christians. Very quickly, opposition rises, and it'll be the theme throughout the rest of Acts. After the paralyzed man is healed, Peter preaches about Jesus, and he says to the crowd in Acts 3.15, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. This is the central message of Peter. In every single sermon Peter gives throughout Acts, he always preaches about the resurrection. And as you can imagine, not everyone liked this message. So Peter and John spent the night in lockup, even though thousands more joined the church at the same time. What we see here is that the story of Acts is the story of the good news of Jesus and how it went out and how some received it with joy and it changed their lives, but others violently rejected it. Today we're going to see how the name of Jesus is a disruptive name. But we keep his name on our lips because there is no other name by which we can be saved. And friends, if you want to follow along in our Pew Bibles, which I encourage you to do, um, page 1,352 in our Pew Bibles is where we are looking today. Our reading begins in the Temple Courts. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. So after spending a night in lockup, Peter and John come before the head honchos. Annas was the former high priest and kept the title. You were high priest for life. 
Caiaphas was the official high priest, the spiritual leader of Israel, and he worked hard to keep the peace with the Romans. John and Alexander were members of his family, and together they formed part of the Sanhedrin, a religious parliament or court made up of 71 members. Just a couple of months before this, Jesus had been dragged during the night before the Sanhedrin, and they had sentenced him to death. Of course, they had to pass him on to the Romans because they didn't have the authority to give the death penalty, but they certainly had the power to condemn in the eyes of the people. These guys thought they had gotten rid of Jesus. At Jesus' trial, Caiaphas had said that it was better for one man, Jesus, to die rather than for the Romans to come and destroy the temple and take all their power away. So you can see why they want to know what name, by what name was this man healed? By what name are you guys operating? And they they ask exactly that. By what power and what name did you do this? Now Peter and John have a choice. They could say, uh, they could say something like, uh, well, God healed them. That would get them out of trouble. Instead, they go for the jugular. Peter, who, remember, just, just a couple of weeks ago, denied knowing Jesus three times as he watched Jesus being tried in the exact same court. Jesus, uh, Peter was outside the court, and a little girl comes up and asks him, Are you one of Jesus' friends? And he goes, no. And he does it three times. Now, all of a sudden, he's in front of the actual Sanhedrin, and he is boldly preaching the name of Jesus. Not about how to heal yourself, not about how to be kind, or even about how all paths lead to God. He preaches unashamedly, unflinchingly, unequivocally about Jesus. Look with me at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter calls out their callousness. Here is a man who has been disabled for 40 years, and all his captors can do is quibble. Notice also that it's the Holy Spirit who empowers Peter to preach. Theologian John Stott points out that this is the third time Peter has used the graphic formula, you killed him, but God raised him. He eloquently quotes Psalm 118, calling Jesus the stone the builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone or the capstone. The psalm goes on to say, the Lord himself has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It seems like the bigwigs hold all the cards. They just had Jesus crucified after all. But Peter doesn't care. 
He knows Jesus rose again and there is nothing they can do to hurt his eternal destiny. They should have all the power. They should have all the wisdom, all the spiritual authority. But here is Peter calling them out. Friends, we can have this same confidence when we speak about Jesus. I know we live in 2023 Australia where people might ridicule you, shame you or ostracize you for knowing and owning the name of Jesus. But who cares? Don't flinch. Just trust Jesus and he will give you the words. A couple of years ago, my mom shared that whenever she called my sister, my sister's not a Christian, um, she, would, she would try and hide her faith. And so my sister would ask, oh, what, what, what did you do this week? And of course, mum went to prayer meetings and Bible studies and she went to church and she'd go, oh, um, nothing, I didn't do anything. And eventually she realised that this was dishonest. Sometimes it would upset my sister that mum was talking about Jesus, but it was the most honest thing she could do. And so now... Thankfully, in God's goodness, the relationship works. Mum freely talks about her faith and what she's doing during the week. And my sister is respectful and loving enough to listen. Peter is honest. And his words are confrontational. They're offensive. But he's about to get even more offensive. He says this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. This is as offensive a message now as it was then. We live in a pluralistic society where religion is, is tolerated, optional, sometimes frowned on. And we are coached to assume that there are many paths to God. As long as we're nice enough, honest enough, good enough, God, if God exists, will let us into heaven, right? Not according to Peter. The Spirit, through Peter, clearly tells us that there is no other name by which we must be saved. The word saved has a lot of cultural baggage, but in, in Greek the word is sozo. It's a word that talks about being rescued from imminent physical and spiritual danger into a whole life peace that God gives. And this is why the gospel is exclusive. While we live in a country where there is freedom of religion, and this is a good thing because God gives us the freedom, the freedom of choice to believe in him or not, the choice about how you live your life and where you spend eternity is important. And the more important the decision, the more specific a solution needs to be. If I want to go to your house, I need to know your name. I need to know your address. I need to know how to get there. If I'm drowning, I don't need a life coach or a fortune teller I need a lifesaver. If I get bitten by a snake, I don't need Panadol. I need antivenom. Only Jesus saves. 
Peter can avoid a whole lot of trouble by not mentioning the name of Jesus. But he can't and he won't. He loves the people who locked him up for a night. He respects them. These people are ready to kill him. They killed Jesus. But he still loves them. He knows the only way that they can be saved is by coming to Jesus. And so the chief priests, the council are stumped. They're confused by Peter. Look at verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John are clearly not professional healers or holy men. They're ordinary fishermen. In Greek, the word used to describe them is idioti. It's not as offensive as the word idiot, which is where we get this word from. Um, but it does mean simple people. Notice the contrast. The priests hold all the cards. They're educated, powerful, and specially chosen by the people to make decisions. But here they haven't a clue what to do. Peter and John, on the other hand, are on death row. And Peter is preaching like it's his last sermon. And yet he speaks with clarity, confidence, and wisdom way beyond his pay grade. And so the court withdraws. They don't know what to do. And they ask each other in verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. They're between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, they don't want Peter preaching about Jesus. But everyone knows that a miracle has just happened. Scholars reckon there would have been about 70,000 people living in Jerusalem at the time. And the news of this healing would have spread across the city like wildfire in the 24 hours that had transpired since the healing. Rather than trying to learn more about what had just happened, the Sanhedrin decide to threaten and silence Peter and John instead. Their hearts are closed off to the truth. So they haul them back up and tell them not to preach in Jesus' name. Maybe they think Peter and John will just be happy that they emerge with their lives intact. Maybe this slap on the wrist will stop all this troublesome talk about Jesus. In many ways, this is where the way our world still operates. Sure, you can go to church. And sure, your church can do nice things, but don't talk publicly about Jesus. During the week, I spent some time in Melbourne at a preaching conference, and the preachers there are acutely aware that they need to be careful with what they say. Last year, Andrew Thorburn was forced to resign from the board of the Essendon Bombers, Essendon Bombers Football Club simply for belonging to an Anglican church where the pastor had preached a sermon 10 years prior that wasn't politically correct. The pastor in question apologized for his tone and for his sloppy choice of words, but neither of them backed down from their allegiance to Jesus, and both were slammed in public. 
This is a high-profile example, but the same thing is happening in workplaces, public spaces, and households every day. So what are we to do about it? Well, the question is, who should we listen to? Peter and John respond with respect and dignity, but also with honesty and clarity. They reply, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John don't need to be on the right side of history or on the right side of public opinion. They can only speak with honesty about what they have seen and heard. They treat their triers with respect, but they won't lie or keep the goodness of Jesus to themselves. The council again try to threaten them, but finally they let them go. They don't know what to do because the people are praising God at what had happened. Peter and John leave the council with a question ringing in their ears. Who should we listen to you? You or God? And so, friends, as we wrap up, I think we need to ask ourselves the same question. Who am I listening to? Am I going to cave into public pressure to keep my faith to myself or even give it up altogether? People often tell me about the good old days when churches were full and everyone seemed to be a Christian. I started following Jesus back in 20. 2001, um, when I was about 14 years old. So I've never lived in Australia when Christianity has been on the rise, when it's been growing. That said, I can't stop and I won't stop talking about Jesus. Jesus has been too good to me. Jesus has done too much for me. Jesus has died and risen to save me. So I have to own his name. This doesn't mean that I can be a jerk about it or force people into conversations about Jesus. I don't have to shout the name of Jesus to every passerby. But it does mean that I have to live in a way that honours Jesus. It also means that whenever I get the opportunity, I will talk about Jesus with clarity and passion as the Holy Spirit empowers me. A couple of weeks ago, um, our boys went down to the rugby. I'm tangoing with the computer. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, um, we went down to watch the Queensland Reds play at Suncorp Stadium. And um, the boys from uh, the Dolby Club, we we waited for two hours um, to see the Queensland Reds um, do a practice run. And by the time they came out, they were running late. And so they did a quick practice run and all of them jumped on the bus. All of them except this guy. Does anyone know who this guy is? It's the coach, yeah. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne has um, the honour or the accolade of being one of the few people in the world to win a State of Origin series in Rugby League and also a World Cup in Rugby Union. But Brad Thorne, he stopped and he chatted um, to the boys for a good five minutes and gave them his time. He gave them tips about rugby, um, and then he toddled off and got on the bus. 
And I grew in respect for that man, and I thought, wow, why, why did he stop? Why did he make time for those boys? A couple of weeks ago, Brad Thorne resigned from his position at the Queensland Reds. And uh, this is what he said in his statement in retiring. It's been an honour to coach Queensland. As a Christian, I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his strength and for the purpose he's given me in being here over the past six years. I'd like to thank my family for their support and I'm looking forward to spending more time with them at the season's end. Friends, there is no other name by which we can be saved. Let's live for Jesus like our lives depend on it, because they do. Let's be prepared to talk about Jesus with whoever, whenever, wherever, because there's no other name by which we can be saved. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.